Space Podcast. Hey everyone, this amazing ESO Network show is brought to you by our fine sponsor, Amazon.com. Please remember to shop Amazon for all your geeky needs, no matter what time of the year it is. All you need to do is go to ESOPodcast.com slash ESOAmazon. Or click on the Amazon banner on the ESO Network webpage to go to our e-store. It's the best way to shop and the best way to support this program, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Okay, that's enough of me babbling for now. Now on with your regular scheduled show. Hi, this is Mark. Congratulations. You have found this amazingly awesome show. Chances are you're listening to it right now on whether it's iTunes or Stitcher Radio or some other mobile app that allows you to stream this amazingly awesome show to your ear holes. And I can't stress how awesomely amazing this show really is. But did you know that you can also catch the latest episode of this show on the Tangibound Network? That's right. Go check out TangiboundNetwork.com. You can look them up and you can listen to it right there. It's even mobile friendly. What more could you ask for? Which means you can pull it up on your iPhone or your Android, even your Windows phone. Yeah, who has one of those? But still, point remains, you can do it. You can do it. Check it out. TangiboundNetwork.com. Listen to this show, the latest episode, every time. Check it out. I'm Chris Farrell from the official GunnaGeek.com podcast, a proud member of the GunnaGeek Network, just like the show you're listening to now. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other geeky podcasts over at GunnaGeekNetwork.com and get ready because geekiness begins in 3, 2, 1. On today's episode, Josh Peterson and I are weighing in on the good and bad with Despicable Me 3 and why you should go out of your way to see Baby Driver. We also talk about why Jackie Chan is still so awesome And will Jumanji be another bust for The Rock? And we also talk great 4th of July-related movies and games to play and watch this holiday season. We also have a clip from the latest What About This podcast from Humanican Media and another hit song from Moy Navarro. It's a light show full of podcasting fireworks we have for you today as we once again delve into the pop culture cosmos. Welcome to the Pop Culture Cosmos. And we're back, everyone. It is the Pop Culture Cosmos. My name is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. I'm here along with my good friend, the man, the myth, the legend behind Humanica Media, and a great announcement coming up for you. And I'll let him do the honors. It's Josh Peterson. How are you, my friend? Good, good, man. Um, yeah, announcements. There will be a Humanican Media Hour on the podcast radio network. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, I'm still... It's probably best if you tell them about this. I'm still hazy on the particulars. It's Tuesday nights? It is Tuesday nights, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific on the podcast radio network. It is the Humanican Media Hour, the latest entry in the podcast radio network lineup and uh we are truly thrilled at pop culture cosmos and obviously josh is really excited to be uh having his creation and all of his great podcasts that he already produces on a regular basis you get a sample of it not only right here on the pop culture cosmos and pcc multiverse but you will get 
the actual shows themselves in full, in length, right there on the Podcast Radio Network, Tuesday nights, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. I know, first off, one of the highest-rated episodes that, that you know people have talked about and that is going to be the What About This? Dealing with Suicide Not Being Entertainment will be the first episode played Tuesday. Check that out, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. What else we got going on with everything great at Humanica Media? You can, uh, the latest episode of What About This? is up. Uh, it's on YouTube, Podbean, iTunes, all the other uh, places where you can get podcasts. Uh, but yeah, the latest episode has Kyle Rice, a guy who runs something called the Project 54 Outreach, and he basically has a warehouse on Skid Row, and he cooks breakfast for the homeless. He has people come in and give them the things they need, talk to them, see how they can help them. And it's it's a really cool program, and he's a really great guy, so really great topic, a lot of great stuff to talk about there. We also have a Super BS Games cast coming out this week uh, with our, our fill-in for Eric, whose name is Dave. Uh, he actually did really well for his first podcast, so that'll be out soon. and. Uh, there will be some new topic apocalypse coming at you, uh, but probably not until after next week. And don't forget to check out his trailer on the Humanican Media YouTube channel for Congratulations, You Suck, which is coming out later this year. Uh, it really is a, a funny trailer, so everybody's got to take a look for that. And you said you have more planned coming on the way down the road in the future as well. And then also, if you missed any of the action from E3 2017, on Humanica Media YouTube page, they've got a lot of great games from, from Forza to G Gran Turismo, Everybody Loves Golf, Call of Duty, Super Mario Odyssey, and so many more games that he has footage of straight from the E3 show floor. And you can check all that footage out on the Humanica Media YouTube page as well. Well, it's a great episode we got planned for you. Douglas Hoybu will also stop by. He is part owner of the Retro City Games, and he's going to stop by and share his thoughts on E3 2017. You want to hear his thoughts on some of the great things he saw down there. I think we'll play a little small clip of what about this as well, the latest one for you, just to just make sure that you're up to date and everyone gets a chance to check out all the great stuff that's going on there as well. So we got a great program indeed, but first I want to you know, tell you, Hey, Despicable Me 3 is doing really solid once again. That's the good news with Despicable Me 3. It's going to do really solid numbers. And for a movie that is not exorbitantly produced like some of the other animated movies that are out there or that have been created, uh, it's the, you know, Universal really tries to keep them within cost and within budget. Um, that, that's really some good news as far as really getting a solid return. But Josh, I ask you your thoughts on the Despicable Me franchise because, well, compared to Despicable Me 2 and even the spinoff Minions that came out after that, it doesn't look like it's really doing as well. But then again, the expectations might not be as you know great. And, and the, those two movies previously, that could have just been a lot of gravy on top of the potatoes, correct? Yeah, but I mean, look at it this way, though. Like, a lot of adults don't want to, they prefer not to go watch a movie like Cars or Finding Nemo. Or, I mean, well, granted, there, there is an audience for that, but like normal adults, like non Disney loving adults, um, they would much rather go see a movie like Despicable Me because it's got humor that they can, uh, that they can laugh at. It's got, it's kind of like a, 
cartoon, you know, from the '90s, like Rocco's Modern Life, or uh, you know, Ren and Stimpy cat dog. It's got stuff oh, that. Oh yeah, well, to Ren, them, so. the Ren and Stimpy's right there for me, and I know this has a lot of '80 references, especially with the bad guy. Trey Parker is voicing the character South Park fans were familiar with, but yes, a lot of '80s references are made because of it. Correct. Correct. Yeah, and so I think that parent like parents are much more enthusiastic about taking their kids to see that movie than than say like a Pixar movie or a Disney movie, just because it's something that they can laugh at too. And the, the kids might not necessarily pick up on the more adult, uh, subtle humor that's in there. But at the same time, it's like the parents, it, it's it's enjoyable for them as well as their children. So I think that Despicable Me does have a lot of, uh, a lot of fuel left in the tank, so to speak. But yeah, as far as uh, in comparison to the other movies, I think it, uh, you know it's just a slow weekend. We'll see how it uh, how it goes from here. And this is a hard weekend to do really great numbers. It's sometimes uh, because people are out barbecuing, they're out traveling, whatnot. They're not always able to go ahead and catch the movies, even if you get an extra day off or two. Correct. Right. You have to remember, too, that a lot of people are out of town, so this isn't exactly like the best weekend to have released a movie. It's good for a movie like Baby Driver just because it's it's more appealing to a smaller audience, but like a big release like this, I think that it's probably not the best weekend to release it, but I, I feel like it's going to not just do solidly this weekend, but next weekend as well. We'll probably see maybe not as high numbers, but we'll see, still see pretty decent numbers for this movie. You won't see a, a, a big drop like you did with Transformers and, and other movies uh, of recent ilk, especially the one a lot of the ones in May that dropped substantially, you know, 60% plus, which is a pretty substantial drop from one week to the next. You'll probably see maybe like even a 25 to 45% drop, which is actually pretty good from, from week one to week two. So uh, definitely, I think you're correct on that assumption. Once people get back in town, they'll want to go check it out. And Despicable Me 3, like I said, because it costs lower to produce, it's between 80 and $100 million to produce. Obviously, it's more spent on marketing, but still comparative to, like you said, the Disney and Pixar films, which usually, on average, cost much higher to make. The investment put in, the return, it doesn't need to make as much, need to generate as much. Now, Despicable Me 2 and Minions got either close to or over the billion dollar mark which exceeded you know beyond expectations uh, at anyone at universal could have ever imagined so definitely if it even gets a whisper near that or even if it does five six hundred seven hundred million uh that is just a big win for for universal on, on that end even though it will have done substantially less than those previous two films that's uh, that's still a profit generator right there for you and it shows that the like you said that the series itself has not seen enough fatigue per se to not warrant another in the series so that's definitely something to look forward to what are your thoughts on despicable me 3 out there we truly want to hear what you have to say if you really think this should be it for despicable me series or if you think the minions and despicable me grew and and all the gang should have more many more or no more iterations coming up in the future we want to hear your thoughts popculturecosmos at yahoo.com also as well pop culture cosmos humanic and media and game source on facebook and twitter as well 
Well, it's going to be a great show. Like I said today, we've got a lot of great things on plate for you. But first, we got a great song right now from Moy Navarro. It's If It Pleases You, I Won't Give Up. And it's on right now, right here on the Pop Culture Cosmos.
listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. Hey everyone, if you're in the Southern California area and are looking for the best way to improve your home, look no further than adding some always green synthetic grass today. Whether it's creating that awesome backyard that's kid and pet friendly, or that punting green to work on your golf game, Always Green provides installation and landscaping with only American-made products, such as their famous synthetic turf with advanced drainage technology and backed by a 15-year warranty that will have your yard looking great for a very long time. Always Green also installs retaining walls, custom lighting and driveways, and the most beautiful stone walkways. So if you live in the Southern California area, what are you waiting for? Financing is also available, so call for a free estimate today. 714-614-7814. That's 714-614-7814. Or stop by their store at 16772 Wanda Circle in Huntington Beach. And get your home looking great with Always Green Synthetic Turf and Putting Greens. A proud sponsor of Pop Culture Cosmos, Humanican Media, and the PCC Multiverse Channels. And we're back with the Pop Culture Cosmos. My name is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate you being part of the broadcast here today. And Josh, I just want to ask you real quick, you did get a chance to see Baby Driver, correct? Oh, yeah, I did. So what are your thoughts on the movie itself? Yeah, I know it's garnered a lot of acclaim, like we've said on previous podcasts, and and it definitely uh, has something that, that could – well, most likely may end up being as high as number two in the domestic box office week this weekend. And for a much smaller film that had much lower anticipations and a much lower threshold for, for you know, uh, I guess, um, a profitability, it really, really is uh, uh, nice to hear that such a, a small film can really do such big numbers. So tell me your thoughts on Baby Driver uh, and your thoughts on on your experience watching it and, and how you feel it says uh, forward for for I guess the movie industry as a whole, that they don't have to go ahead and franchise every single movie. Um, Let me just start by saying the movie does have its flaws before I start fanboying here. But at the same time, it was, everything was so well done. Like it was well-written. The acting was good. It was edited well. The cinematography was great. And it, it really was just a cool movie. That's the only way I can think to describe it. It's like, um, it's like a mix of Snatch meets uh, Vanishing Point or Bullet. Like it's it's one of those movies where it's just it's you don't know you don't really know what's going to happen. Like there's so much there's so much like so many plot points going on, so many characters with their own motivations. You don't know how it's going to end or where it's going to go. And Edgar Wright is. He did a really great job. Like it honestly seeing this movie makes me wonder what his version of Ant-Man would have been like had he been able to continue forward with it, but and he hasn't yet seen Ant-Man and, and really is troubled by the fact that he can't he he physically just is just cannot watch it. He knows it did well. He knows what what is critically and, and money-wise how well Ant-Man actually did, but it's to him. It's such a personal issue that he's yet to see the project. So yes, I, I definitely agree with you. It would have been interesting to see his his vision of that film. Right, but yeah, as for Baby Driver, it's it's a. 
I don't know how to describe it to you besides uh, just telling you to go see it because it's one of those movies where uh, it, it's not what you expect it to be. Like it's it, it's not your typical uh, you know heist movie though. It is a heist movie in itself, but it's got a little something extra to it. And I just I walked out of the movie theater thinking that was just a really cool movie because I've you know it, it's been a while since we've seen something like that. And I think that with the success of this movie, assuming that it keeps doing well over the weekend, we're we're going to see hopefully see studios taking more chances on smaller movies like this because. As we mentioned before, I think that we're all getting kind of burnt out on franchises. It looks like it's going to be a winner at the box office. And for something that, you know, just really didn't have that high of expectations, I'm just so glad to see that that the coolness factor of, of a film such as that. And, and the soundtrack, I know that is, is definitely intertwined in the movie. And, and explain how that is so important to the movie as a whole. Okay, so um, Baby is his name. Well, it's not actually his name. You have to watch the movie to find out what his real name is. But he got in a car accident, so there's there's buzzing in his ears, like little, uh, you know, how uh, you know when you hear loud noise, it leaves that ringing going through there. So it's um, so he uses headphones, his his headphones to kind of hear what's uh, not hear, but like drown it out. So he, as you find out in the movie, he uh, he works with this guy who has him basically being a getaway man and everything in the movie is timed to the beat of music and it's something that i've never seen happen before even the intro like you see him singing and dance it's kind of it's it's a musical but it's not a musical it's a heist movie but it's not a heist movie it's got a romance but it's not exactly a romance it's like it's a lot of moving pieces but in the end it all comes together really well and the movie does revolve around music a lot of it. Oh, that's good to hear indeed. Definitely uh, one of the movies that uh, people need to catch out there that may be under the radar, but it is now out and about in theaters. It's Baby Driver. Definitely want to go ahead and check that out today or as soon as possible because it looks like it'd be, it's, well, like we almost predicted you know, a week ago that it's going to be one of the surprise hits and the sleeper hits of 2017. What are your thoughts on Baby Driver? Do you agree with Josh's assessment of the film, or do you have a different ideal for the movie? And did you really come out of it enjoying that aspect, or or do you see something different that you would have done or in place, or did you think it was just a waste of time, or did you just like the fact that Edgar Wright could have done so much better with the Ant-Man film? Tell us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also, as well, Pop Culture Cosmos, Humanity Media, and Game Source on Facebook and Twitter as well. Hey, this is Chad from Ghost Toasters, and you're listening to Pop Culture Cosmos Podcast. 2017 is a pinnacle year for Rob McCallum Films. Coming off the heels of the internationally acclaimed and award-winning documentary Missing Mom, we're in the final stages to release Kitty, Origins and Evolutions. Check out this heavy metal biopic that explores the ups and downs of rock and roll for the women in Kitty who blazed a trail in the music industry in the face of unthinkable adversity. Kitty Origins and Evolutions releases this year from Rob McCallum Films. 2017 is the year to set your future on fire. And we're back at the Pop Culture Cosmos. My name is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate you being part of the broadcast here today. Want to make sure everybody knows out there that 
well, if you for some reason cannot listen to the airing on the podcast radio network of the Pop Culture Cosmos Show or the PCC Multiverse, that's a no problem at all because you can download it at any time of your convenience or stream it on any one of these channels. The Tangibound Network, the ESO Network, the Gunny Geek Network, Player.fm, Overcast.fm, the Ace Podcast Network, iTunes, of course, Podcast.com, Stitcher Radio, Mixcloud, Google Play, and then also you can stream it on our home site, popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. And if you do, we always throw a bonus podcast or or some bonus type of listening on, at, at the back end of each and every show just for listening because we truly appreciate you downloading and also as well streaming the podcast indeed. Well, I, I want to ask you, Josh, have you got a chance to see Jackie Chan's latest movie, The Foreigner? At least the trailer for it, I should say. Yeah, I saw the trailer. I'm I'm intrigued for sure because I think that Jackie Chan has had various stages in his career. Like back when he did Drunken Master and um, I can't remember a lot of the other ones he's in. You'll have to forgive me for that. But Or when he first really got into America's Eyes with Rumble in New York. Um, that's, that to me was, I, that's when he first, for me, really came on the scene. I had seen some of his work previously, like you said, Drunken Master and, and, the the super cop movies, but it was really when R- Rumble in the Bronx, he hit audiences, was the first real movie to, to be targeted to American audiences. And I was like, wow, that's a, that's a really good movie. Uh, he's a really, really, really entertaining actor and obviously uh, just just creative genius with all the stunts that he does correct right right and well he's he's entertaining we like we've seen the we've seen the kind of uh you know the the for the foreign um kung fu movie side we've seen the 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 80s 90s style jackie chan we've seen him in rush hour it's it's he's got he's he has so many dimensions like he's he, he can be a serious he can be uh, kind of appear to be a novice. He can be uh, comedic, but we haven't. This is a the foreigner is something is a side of him that we haven't seen yet. The the gritty, dark, uh, angry version of Jackie Chan. And that's what I think is so appealing about this movie is that it's it it is it shows those things. It shows a, a new side of him that we haven't seen before. It's um, that's the first one that came to theater, Rumble in the Bronx, and that really just open the eyes of not only myself, but a lot of other American viewers. Yeah. And even that, like compared to this, a lot of the movies back then featuring Jackie Chan, they were good, but they, they were kind of cheesy. Like they had moments where they, you you can totally tell you're like, okay, this movie came out of that era. Like if you were to watch it now, but like, if you watch a movie like the foreigner, like I granted, everyone's going to be thinking, Oh, it's like taken, but I think this is going to be entirely unlike taken. It's going to be, it's going to be dark. It's going to be gritty. It's going to have a very violent Jackie Chan. And that is something that we've never seen before. That is something I'm really excited to see. And one of my favorite actors also as well, Pierce Brosnan is going to be part of it. Although it's kind of funny because he, he is involved, you know, he, he actually, he's from Scotland and he has a Scottish accent, but it's so weird hearing his Scottish accent. If you've, if, 
because you're so used to hearing it different, you know, as James Bond with a, you know, more of a British tone. Then also he just recently, finished, you know, did the, uh, the AMC series where he was trying to do very Texan like, so it's just, it's just so funny hearing him trying to be very Scottish, uh, you know, with his, his you know, dialects, which is his, you know, natural dialect, but it's just so different for me hearing that, you know, Remington steel, my gosh, that was, he did not, it's just such such a different, you know. Over the years, you hear Pierce Brosnan in so many different roles, and you know that that it's just so funny hearing him like that and whatnot. But uh, definitely uh, um, uh, looking forward to it, indeed. So, what are your thoughts on on the Foreigner? Do you, you said it doesn't look like it's going to be, even though it has the premise kind of like a Taken. You think it's going to be something far more different, correct? Yeah, I think it's going to be. Unlike Taken, I think, because he's not trying to get his daughter back. He's trying to avenge his daughter. So I think that's where the story's kind of a divert path right there. But I think not only is it going to do that, but it's going to show us how there is a lot of corruption in government, a lot of things that we are so passionate about fighting as far as, you know, we could talk about social media activism and whether or not it works. And that's that's whatever. But like this is showing a side of it that, you know, you, there was a time when you'd say, hey, this stuff is all conspiracy, but like we're living in an age, like especially in the last 10 years in America where we're like, okay, conspiracies are, are real. Like here's, <laughs> here's proof of it. So it's got an interesting story to it also that I'm, I'm intrigued to see. Is Pierce Brosnan going to end up being a bad guy? Is there a reason for Because they kind of talk about him being involved in what happened to Jackie Chan's daughter. So uh, it's just, it's going to be, it's an interesting spin on, on a, an old type of story. And I'm really interested to see it. And I am interested to see it as well. Uh, it comes out October 13th, right around the time, uh, you know, really those fall releases start to kick into gear. So I'm definitely looking forward to that one. I just came out of the blue and then just, you know, Jackie Chan foreigner coming up. Like, wow, this is really a different kind of path for Jackie Chan. We've seen him in some serious roles, but not really too many. Cause he's, more like the lovable Jackie Chan, uh, just going out and, and and doing some wacky, crazy things. But he's still doing some stunts in the film, of course. You know that's Jackie Chan's trademark. But just so amazing, even at his age, that he is still doing that at at such a degree that that uh, it's still amazing on on the screen what he's doing. So definitely looking forward to it myself. And and uh, well, actually, as a martial arts you know, uh, movie box office phenomenon. What do you rate Jackie Chan as in the overall scheme of things? I mean, as far as, you know, Bruce Lee, and then you've got, uh, like I said, Jackie Chan, Jet Li, but then there's so many more. So how, where would you rate him in the hierarchy as far as uh, uh, martial arts, you know, film makers is our concern? Oh, geez, that's tough, man. Um, I mean, he, he recently get, was given a lifetime award for for all of his achievements and whatnot. And obviously, di, you know, well deserved by by any standards. And he's just provided so many great moments on screen. But I wanted to hear your thoughts where he ranks in your eyes. I would say, like, he's definitely up there. Like, I know you would probably put Bruce Lee close to the front, but I would I have Bruce Lee and Jackie Chan in my top ten. But there, you know, there's uh, there's Jet Li, there's uh, Tony Jaa, there's um, Donnie Yen, like the, there's a lot of like guys out there that I would rather watch than like I'd say a Jackie Chan movie, but um, I would still 
I think that a lot of the people that I like to watch are people that probably grew up watching Jackie Chan movies. So that's what makes it so interesting. And I know you may or may not count this in there, but I believe Chow Yun-Fat to me is one of the most brilliant artists ever in, in any genre as well. Uh, have you had a chance to to see a lot of his work, Chow Yun-Fat? Because it just really just does a great, great job. And Hard Boiled is truly an awesome movie uh, that just missed my top 25 all time. Yeah, yeah, I've seen a lot of Chow Yun-Fat stuff. I think um, for me, I don't really like rate him. I, I, I always forget he's a he's kind of a, a more of a martial artist just because I've seen him in things like the uh, you know Pirates of the Caribbean and a lot of other franchise type things. But yes, I did love him in Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and what's her name? Um, so the lady from Crouching Tiger. What's her Joan name? Joan Chan. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely love to be her. Star Trek Discovery. Yeah, um, I mean, not so excited about that, but. <laughs> she, uh, um, yeah, I, so Jackie Chan's definitely, he's, he's up there. I like watching him. And I, I think that once I see, watch this new movie coming out, I feel like it might kind of change my opinion of what the man can do. Maybe it'll even give us some more films showing that side of him. So it's, it's, it's exciting. And I think, uh, a lot of it goes, I know this goes back to Taken, but a lot of this goes back to, Liam Neeson and what he was able to create with the Taken series that now these stars that are reaching their 50s, 60s, whatnot, can play these type of roles and still not only get away with it, but still look very, very good in doing so, don't you think? I mean, because Liam Neeson's in his 60s and he still was kicking some serious butt in, in Taken and some, you know, a couple of the other films that were made in a, such a similar fashion that he starred in. Yeah, definitely. I think that kind of opened the door for movies like The Expendables and uh, a lot. Um, what's they even like? They paired. There's one movie where they paired Dolph Lundgren up with Tony Jaa, and that was interesting. But yeah, it's it's, it's kind of <laughs> that's, reopened. That's you could say about that. <laughs> it's kind of, uh, I guess, reinvigorated a lot of the careers of these '90s action stars. So yeah, I think there's there's definitely good things. I think Jackie Chan still got a lot of life left in him, though. He's you have to imagine a guy with that kind of like diet and lifestyle. He's he's probably gonna live for a, for a really long time. So I hope we do get to see a lot, a, many more movies from him. And uh, speaking of which, of uh, Liam Neeson, did you ever get to see uh, a Monster Calls? No, I have not as of yet. That was actually a real. I I didn't know what to expect from it, but it was actually a really great movie. Well, Liam Neeson, he, I, you know, people know him for, for those type of ones, but his career has been varied all over the place as well. So may, I, I think that's maybe where Jackie Chan is leading towards to that, that Jackie Chan is proving to the world that he can just go and expand his, his repertoire to reach a whole different audience. And uh, I'm not going to bet against him because it definitely looks like the foreigner looks, you know, kind of really something like, a lot that we would want to see a movie that we would really want to see and definitely something that we can look forward to coming up this October when it comes out. What are your thoughts on the foreigner and Jackie Chan's career? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Plus also as well, pop culture cosmos game source and humanity media on Facebook and Twitter as well. When we return, we're going to play a little clip from the What About This podcast. And also as well, right after that, we're going to talk to Douglas Hoyabu about his trip to E3 2017 and what he did 
and didn't like about some of the upcoming games. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos. If you're tired of sifting through flea markets for rare and unique games, we can help. Retro City Games in Henderson, Nevada, only five minutes from the Las Vegas Strip, has all your favorite gaming staples, classics, and a wide selection of rare games with new stuff always appearing on our shelves. Come in and chat with Nicole or Doug about your love of games and watch as they help you complete your collection or find your childhood favorite. And don't forget, Retro City Games loves trade-ins. So if you have any Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega, Xbox, PlayStation, or even PC games, come in and visit Retro City Games today. Welcome to the new metropolis of gaming, Retro City Games. Once again, it goes back to love. Discipleship is love. You have to show love. You know what I mean. When what does that look like? All right. Well, let me throw this out, Jake, because because here's what I hear you saying is: a first, like anything, we actually try to fix so that we can avoid. Mm-hmm. So, so instead of listening, we try to fix, right? Mm-hmm. But if we would just listen, we would actually hear what the other needs in this situation, whatever the situation is. Mm-hmm. That could be with your spouse. Yeah. To listen. So you began to listen, and then you began to hear, we need eggs. But really, right, is you heard, we need friendships, we need relationships. That was the What About This podcast on the Humanica Media outlets on Podbean, iTunes, Facebook, and YouTube. You're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. For the latest reviews and opinions on everything pop culture, head on over to our brand new site, www dot popculturecosmos.wordpress.com and we're back with the pop culture cosmos i'm here along with my good friend the man myth the legend behind retro city games unless you're nicole galgazian who says she is the person behind Games. it's douglas hoyvo how are you my friend i'm doing well how are you uh, you know, obviously, when anybody goes to E3, it's all about the games. So what were some of the games that you were looking forward to? You had mentioned previously with me, but what were some of the games when you went down there were actually some of the games you actually got a chance to play and, and your you know your impressions on some of them? Uh, my biggest letdown was probably Mario, um, as far as, like, hype to what I actually got out of it. Super um, Mario, Super Mario Odyssey? Mario Odyssey. Um, I was a little let down that, like, it's not really a... It is a Mario game, and it plays like Mario 64, but it's not... It's not what I expected. You use Cappy to pretty much do everything. It doesn't feel like a Mario game in the sense of being a platformer. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my biggest surprises was Nino Kuni 2. I, they completely changed the battle system, um, which I think is for the better. Yes. Um, the remake of Crash looked very, very good. Um, actually, the uh, the new Forza looks awesome, and uh, Sea of Thieves. I didn't get to play Sea of Thieves, but I watched people play a ton of Sea of Thieves. Uh, it looks like it's a lot of fun, and, and thankfully it's a great way for Rare to get really back into video game developing the way I'm, we know they should be. Exactly. I mean, I know it's not the same Rare from back in the day. No. Not, not in team, but it, it, it looks and feels, from what I saw, more like a... From what they been, have been doing for the past yeah. 10, 15 years. Yeah, Viva Pinata. <laughs> yeah. Well, Viva Pinata was good, but then they were, they were asked to do some different things, so maybe yeah. it wasn't... Uh, uh, they've kind of lost a little luster, but this hopefully will bring them back to up to speed with the rest of the video game world. Definitely. Um, but, my, my favorite game of the show is probably Detroit Become Human, though. Really? That was probably... So I know you and, you and Josh then have issues because Josh thought it was still some work to be done. But what impressed you about it? Um, visually, it's stunning, which I think you'd expect from a, yes. a point-and-click style that, that, I like that. that I don't think yeah. is in dispute. Um, I, 
it took the de- detective side of things a little farther and deeper than I, I was expecting where you not only just scan items in, in the world and uncover things um, you then because you're an android use those those inferences and pieces of information you picked up to then recreate a, a moment in time so yeah. you can then recreate you know a 10 20 30 second piece of what unfolded when you weren't there yeah and now once you do that you can fast forward things using l1 and r1 you can fast forward and rewind time and search for interesting or you know points of interest within that time yeah so now you're searching what happened in the past but you're physically in that room yeah it's, it's hard to explain without actually seeing it but you can look in 3d and and really look around and see what's going on and now you have to figure out what was happening in that moment through the eyes of, a, of the killer or the person who was trying to get away things like that um i like they didn't hold your hand i mean you really could every game says oh play it how you want but you really could you could just walk out and start negotiating if you wanted to there you go um I, I felt the, the the gameplay was tight um, as far as control wise were, were tight, but the um, the camera angles were lacking. I'll give it that. There was a lot of times where I'm looking at the back of my character's head, like through the head almost, or um, trying to walk through something, and the camera goes from a top view and well, that's, that seems to be the theme for for David Cage's games, where on a story basis they seem to be really really promising, but on a technical basis maybe it's a little bit behind what gamers want. So hopefully they'll get that end shored up. Before the game gets released definitely um the other one that uh caught me off guard was everybody golfs ah uh, um, yes I've, yes i've always been a hot shots golf fan Same and I, here. I didn't know that everybody golfs was the japanese title that's correct but i spent probably five minutes just rolling rolling around in the, the uh, golf cart and fishing that's that, that's one of my that's my favorite golf series right there and oh, josh absolutely he caught wind of it and he saw it and he did hey gerald did you see that? I said, yes, I did, because it looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. Which was crazy, because you could just walk right up and play it. Yes. It didn't help that, I mean, it was literally Detroit, Destiny 2, and Matterfall right next to it. But <laughs> but everybody seems to take that series for granted. But as you and I know, as Vita owners, I mean, that, you know, Hot Shots Golf, just oh, yeah, on, on every series. Yeah, PS2 yeah, and going back forwards. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's just been always a great series. It's a, it's a nice little steady moneymaker for Sony overall. And, uh, just, just a lot of fun. Uh, I saw it at E3, and I was just like, "Oh, this is going to be another cool thing to have," especially on the PS4. Oh, definitely. So. Um, what was your favorite? That was probably one of them. But Gran Turismo, which you and I were just talking about and almost laughing about before came, we went on camera, uh-huh. and it's just—I uh, think that really looks very promising to me. Uh, Crackdown Three, uh, kind of need think it's, it's okay, but I'm not sure if it's the way you really want to introduce the Xbox One X, which gets me into my next question. You were, and Nicole and I were probably as close as we could be to the new Xbox One X. What are your thoughts with this upcoming $499 price console? Uh, it's a sleek design. I mean, it looks good. Uh, well, I mean, Nicole was calling it a PS2. It looks like a PS2. Very, it, it's very much. I mean, the, the, the two rectangular boxes kind of sitting at each other, yes. like staggered inside. With the like, grooves and all that. And, and, yeah. and the, the grate on one side. It looks very much like a, a, a PlayStation 2. Um, I like what it's it's trying to do as far as like pushing native 4K and you know performance mode for those that don't. Um, I didn't see too much that I thought was. It's kind of my problem with the PS4 Pro on a 4K. I don't see. I see games that are in 4K, but I don't see. You, you have know, to have it. The graphical fidelity isn't changed. I don't feel. Yeah. Like I mean, it, it, you can make a crisper image, but it doesn't make the game look better. Is it something and, that gamers are going to need? And that's the same reason I don't have a Pro yet. I mean, it's it's. So I don't know, and especially that. Two hundred dollar extra price point on top of the one S. Yeah, I think that's really gonna. Uh, I don't know. I no, I agree with you. I mean, if you don't have a four K and you don't have really the need, the burning need to do it, go out and get it. 
then it really doesn't make sense buying one at this point in time when it gets released. I would agree. And even even at, at you know right out the game, unless you're going to play you know you know native 4K or true was it the um, Ultra HD? There yes. You go. Sorry, too many new terms. Uh, the Ultra HD um, content. I mean, the, I don't know if games are really at a point where and high dynamic high dynamic range and all that. Yeah, so. I mean, I feel if, if you're going to run out and buy an H, or, uh, 4K TV, HDR has to be yeah in your. I mean if. There's almost no point if you don't. Yeah. But especially because all the content's supporting it. Exactly. But I, I run into the issue that is there enough content? We're talking about before, Is there enough content? I mean, movie-wise, there is. But is there enough content on the gaming side to make me go, I need this machine to do that? Well, is there enough as far as broadcast television yet? That's to me the issue. I mean, it took so long for everybody to adapt into 1080. Finally, there it, it seemed to get over that hump, so everybody bought 1080 televisions. Mm-hmm. Now I'm still waiting for me is to have a need to buy because you know, DS, you know, satellites, cable, other ways of getting television are still not really up to broadcasting in 4K. Even Netflix and things like that with their 4K option, it's not really 4K. Not quite. It's, it's, I mean, um, it's close, but it's not quite there. So there's really not a need to buy 4K at this point. And then we were talking about this earlier as well. The the games aren't there. I mean, Xbox hasn't. Xbox didn't display a bunch of games that make me go, wow, there's the, the Xbox One X, and this is why I need to get it for these games. There's a lot of great smaller games, Cuphead, Sea of Thieves that you talk a... about, State of Decay 2, you know, these are, but these are not franchise foundational games that the Xbox One or the Xbox One X sorely needs. I would agree. Hi, this is Josh from Ghost Toasters, and you're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. Hey everyone, check out what happened recently on the Pop Culture Cosmos Show and the PCC Multiverse. It's been all over the pop culture news. The sudden exit of the directors of the Han Solo spinoff film. And who should step in? It's Ron Howard. What do you want to see from a Han Solo movie that intrigues you the most? The Kessel Run. How he met Chewbacca. Yeah, there's all that stuff would be cool to see, but I don't have anything I'm like, yes, I really hope they see this. So, And I'm, I think that's working to my advantage because I'm going to go into this movie without any expectations and hopefully I'm going to come out blown away by it. For the latest interviews, opinions, reviews, and analysis on everything pop culture, check out the Pop Culture Cosmo Show, Mondays, 10.30 Eastern, 7.30 p.m. Pacific, and the PCC Multiverse, Fridays, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, on the Podcast Radio Network. Or subscribe today on over a dozen streaming and downloading options. And we're back with the Pop Culture Cosmos. My name is Gerald Glasser from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate you being part of the broadcast here today. And don't forget, Tuesday night, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, right here on the Podcast Radio Network, you will see for the first time debuting, it is the Humanica Media Hour. And we're going to start off with a great episode of the What About This podcast. It is actually one of the most controversial in dealing with suicide is not entertainment. And you'll be hearing that podcast in its entirety on the Podcast Radio Network this Tuesday, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. Well, uh, I want to make sure everybody knows out there, we truly here at Pop Culture Cosmos and Humanica Media really wish you a safe July 4th, a happy July 4th. Have lots of barbecues, lots of fun. Enjoy yourselves. But also, if you get a chance, you know, there's some great movies and games that have kind of will get you into that July 4th 
Independence Day type spirit. So, so I ask you, Josh, before I tell you know tell everyone out there a couple of choices that I have as far as movies and games that will get you in that July Fourth mood. What are some of the games and or movies that you you know want to give everybody out there a, a holler or a shout out on what would be a good thing to do for July Fourth outside of fireworks and the barbecues, of course. Uh- I would say Homefront is definitely up there. Uh, just and even the second one, I know the second one kind of tanked in the reviews, but it's one of those games where it's like you kind of get what you get, and but you're you're playing for freedom essentially. Same thing with Wolfenstein. I definitely recommend that, which I picked up for ten dollars on the Microsoft sales. So definitely do yourself a favor and check it out. But yeah, those are those are my two games. I, I mean, I don't know many other games I relate to the fourth. But as far as movies go. I always love to watch Independence Day around 4th of July. I don't know what it is. I, I'm always driven to the television to watch Independence Day. And there's also Top Gun. Top Gun is another good one. And uh, I know you have one on the list that I would recommend also. So I will let you say it. But I, I feel like the 90s films are like a really great thing to watch around independence day. i don't know what it is just there's a lot of 90, 90s films that would fit that bill correct it seems like more, yeah, more yeah than any for other sure era. it was like it's it was a typical day to write a movie or to have a movie revolve around but it's it's uh you know we live in different times now don't we? we don't have a lot of movies that aren't related to other movies so yeah definitely uh check it out gerald i ask you though what are your picks well i would also say the 1950s movies because uh the 1950s movies Made they made and also and also 1960s early 1960s they made a lot of army war related films that very patriotic films because they were you know coming off the you know the shine of of World War II and and whatnot so they Hollywood embraced it by making a lot of of war related films during that period so if you can always check out the list that are so big about of all the titles that that are out there Force One from Navarone or or you know, just just a long, you know, huge list goes on and on and on of, of all the war films that that came out, Dirty Dozen and all that that came out during that period of time. But for me, I would probably say, and at least the first fifteen minutes, I gotta catch every time I see it, and that's Saving Private Ryan. And that's because it, it does recreate D Day and all its horrific embodiment it probably is about as as it's probably to me about as real uh 15 minutes of, of as far as depicting a war that i've ever seen on, on film um and as far as if anybody wants to understand what what war is all about especially during that time period on such an eventful day uh june 6 1944 for d-day uh, that that definitely uh uh, fits the bill right there, and it, you know, saving Private Ryan. It's just so poignant. Uh, it has so much emotions going through it. Uh, such powerful performances, even throughout. And and I tell you what, it, but that first fifteen minutes, that just that just knocks you over, and it, it almost to the point where the rest of the film cannot stand up to it. The rest of the film is pretty solid in its own right, but just that first fifteen minutes of film is just so good. Uh, I don't want to say it's so good, but because that's probably not the best way to state it, but it is just so well executed and well done. Some of Steven Spielberg's best work is within that time frame. Uh, I just definitely watch, watching that brings brings tears to the eyes each and every time you watch it. Indeed, so that's Saving Private Ryan for me, and then for you know playing some video games. 
how can you not go wrong playing some some Call of Duty, which I know Josh loves so well. The Battlefield series, any which one you want, pretty much. Battlefield series will fit the bill. The Call of Duty series, especially with um, Call of Duty Modern Warfare remastered, coming out as a standalone, which Josh and I predicted many, many months ago would happen. Uh, that just came out by itself. You can go pick that up at any point in time so you can relive that awesome 2007 game. Then also as well, Medal of Honor series, which, yes, did get a reboot. They'll probably try to reboot it again at some point in time, but definitely a Medal of Honor series. Those are definitely very patriotic indeed. Uh, so you can check that out as well as far as for you gaming buffs out there to relive uh, and, and those types of, of great cinematic moments and also warlike moments within the video game realm. And then also get that Independence Day real feeling before you go ahead and hit the barbecues and set off the fireworks safely, uh, hopefully indeed. What are your thoughts on a great July 4th game or movie? Send that in to us, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, Pop Culture Cosmos, Mannequin Media, and Game Source on Facebook and Twitter as well. Well, we'll be right back right after the break. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos. Game Source is your number one source for everything video games. Each week we bring you the best of the video gaming world from sites all over the internet. Like us today on Facebook or follow us today at Game Source and you'll stay up with the latest in information and news, plus also about all the great things we're doing on our Game Source Facebook, Twitter, and Game Source YouTube pages. Stay up to date with the video gaming world right here at Game Source. And we're back with Pop Culture Cosmos. My name is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. I truly appreciate you being part of the broadcast here today. Josh, before we head on out, I want to ask you, what was your opinion of the latest Jumanji trailer, The Rock's latest adventure coming this Christmas to theaters? It looks good. I mean, it to me, it looks kind of like a um, uh, Goosebumps. Like, I'm kind of going to go into it the same way I went into Goosebumps. Like, I don't, I'm not expecting it to be good, not expecting it to be bad. Just expecting it to be something to uh, kill some time, you know? I, the, the, Rock and, the Rock and Kevin Hart are funny. I'm not so fond of the idea of a video game. I hope they explain how it went from a board game to a video game, but it probably won't. So I'm just going to go into it looking for entertainment. I'm, I'm glad you have much higher hopes than I do on the film. To me, the trailer looked really, I don't know, it just... Well, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Because after, I, I, I'll tell you what, I've been telling you for months, I thought Baywatch, as moronic as it looked, was just going to be some silly fun, silly dumb fun. It was just going to be able to score big with audiences because they love those uh, every now and then, those R-rated comedies. Well, I was way off base on that one. And uh, I just don't think, even though this is not R-rated, mind you, it's still, I don't know, this does not look like something that that's going to be very good it's going to come right on the heels of, of the latest star wars movie and and right in the christmas season where you got all those great uh oscar wannabe films that are going to come right around that time as well so i don't know where that will stand up if it does still come out during christmas holiday season i'll have to wait and see i i gotta see more of it before i 
will actually find it interesting enough to go to. But I'm kind of on the negative side, and I'm kind of worried about Rock's career because Rock was making all these these substandard films on his way up uh, the ladder, and it looks like has he reached the ladder as as because he was recently though know, considered the top star in Hollywood, and and now starting to fade on down a little bit in my estimation with some of these choices and now rampage he's filming based off the video game i don't know if that's exactly the best choice in the world either as far as film projects concerned but hey i guess paycheck's a paycheck but this is the problem though with the rock like he he's becoming known for a certain type of movie he's becoming known for outlandish over-the-top action movies and that's Basically, what Jumanji rampage? Well, is I, okay, you can throw him. You you can say he's a Stallone and, Sch- and Schwarzenegger of the of the the new millennia. Is that what you're trying to imply? No, I'm just saying that he with the Fast and the Furious, like the more outrageous, because that's what he's known for now. That his that's like his his flagship is the Fast and the Furious, and the more outlandish those movies get, the more he's going to be associated with that kind of action movie. And I, I think that. Good for him for not rejecting things, for not thinking that certain movies are beneath his station, but at the same time, he does have to be careful what he picks or else he might end up being like Sylvester Stallone or, or Arnold Schwarzenegger. Like He'll, he'll well, fade become- into the echelon of uh, action actors past their glory days. Exactly, and, and they f- faded out for a long time during the, the mid to late 90s. You know, Arnold Schwarzenegger made the last action hero and then a couple other duds as well right there and then. And that pretty much, you know, tanked his career for a while. Although, yeah, he did get the governor's job and, and it did that uh, instead. But And then Stallone did a lot of Losers Stop or My Mom Will Shoot, among other turkeys. And and his career went in the toilet as well for a long time before they both have had some, you know, a little bit type of revival. And then, like we were talking about with the Expendables series, uh, they both got got a breath of fresh air from those movies. So I can understand that. He just There's just so many garbage pieces that he can actually, uh, the rock meaning, can actually go on to before that he can try and front before people or audiences are just going to say, uh, I don't want to see anymore. And then that's a shame because the rock is uniquely talented and he's just, he, as a, as a performer, whether he's in the wrestling ring or out of it, he's just got a certain charisma and skill that he brings to the table. Uh, and I always said before, once he got comfortable enough with the camera, as he did the wrestling ring, he was going to be a superstar. And lo and behold, he is, I believe, at that point where where he is. And and I know that's why he's considered one of the top stars in Hollywood right now at this point. And, and good for him. He deserves it uh, 100%. I just want to see him doing good projects to keep that status up because he's just such a, you know, uh, he's got such a great charisma and he's got such a great it factor indeed uh, but nobody is teflon as you and i both seen in the movies in hollywood and 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 you know other forms of medium nobody is is uh bulletproof when it comes to making continually bad projects is concerned what are your thoughts on the rock's latest film coming up jumanji let us know and is this a loving tribute well i heard they're going to have some tributes to you know, to the Robin Williams movie from from the past, uh, do you think this is going to be work out to be a nice tribute from the to that past movie, or do you think it's going to be something that maybe everyone will forget by the new year? 
Let us know your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, Pop Culture Cosmos, Humanican Media, and Game Source on Facebook and Twitter as well. So Josh, before we head on out, any last thoughts uh, on what's going on with your, your your show coming up on Tuesday nights on, on the Podcast Radio Network and everybody out there? Hey, it'll be a great July 4th for you because not only fireworks, but also as well, a new show, brand new, debuting on the Podcast Radio Network. Yeah, just uh, tune in, check check everything out on Facebook and YouTube, all the stuff that we're doing. And, uh, you know, thanks for the continued support. Also, Pop Culture Cosmos, thanks for always tuning in to us, because if not for this show, I wouldn't be able to do the, the other show. So thanks a lot. So glad to have uh, another show from our umbrella, our lineup of, of shows uh, that, you know, being now again part of the uh, podcast radio network and definitely looking forward to that indeed. And I'm also wishing everyone out there a happy and safe 4th of July. And I know Josh is as well. Uh, I know we said it before, we say it again, just be safe, be happy and enjoy everything with, with all your friends and family on, you know, as you cook those hot dogs and burgers and, and also listen to the fireworks out there and listen to Josh's latest Humanican Media Hour on the Podcast Radio Network, indeed, this July 4th. So for Josh Peterson of Humanican Media, this is Gerald Glassford, and it's another beautiful day of paradise here in the pop culture cosmos. I'll try to do it like pop, you know, fireworks. Pop, 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 culture cosmos. We thank you for listening. And here's hoping you have yourself a great day. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network, your station for all things geek, classic, current, and beyond. Be part of the crew at esonetwork.com. Tangent Bound Network. Let your voice be heard. Tangentboundnetwork.com. Thanks so much for downloading the Pop Culture Cosmos as a special treat. We're adding a bonus episode, which starts right now. So sit back and relax as you enjoy more awesome goodness from the Pop Culture Cosmos family. And stay tuned as more great podcasts are on the way. Thanks again for listening to us here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. All right, welcome to episode eight for What About This? Uh, this episode, we're talking to Kyle Rice from Project 54 Outreach. We had mentioned his organization back in episode four when we were talking about short-term missions, so we wanted to have him on to talk about his experience helping the homeless out in Skid Row in Los Angeles. So we, we talk about a lot of things. Kyle tells us just a, a small part of his story about his incredible journey that he has uh, where he's gained the heart for the homeless up in Skid Row and, and the way it's impacted his life and, and the way he's been able to um, start uh, an organization up there and, and help the help the homeless up there, help the people living up in, in Skid Row. Um, so we talk about sort of the complexity of homelessness, how it's not just the one, you know, it's not just that someone doesn't have a house to live in. There's so much more to it. There's so much more that goes into not just um, the, the, the problem, but the solution. Uh, we talk about what really is needed to solve it. So we talk about listening, loving, what we can do as individuals, what we do as, as a group, um, and, and uh, what we need to do to actually serve the people up on Skid Row just a little bit better than we have, uh, and not just a little bit, a lot better than we have. 
Um, so please check out uh, Project 54 uh, Outreach. Um, they have a website, uh, which we'll put in the show notes. We, they have uh, other ways to contact them. So um, we hope you guys learn a lot from this uh, episode and um, let us know whether you want to get involved or, or any other feedback that you have. Thanks, guys. If you're tired of sifting through flea markets for rare and unique games, we can help. Retro City Games in Henderson, Nevada, only five minutes from the Las Vegas Strip, has all your favorite gaming staples, classics, and a wide selection of rare games with new stuff always appearing on our shelves. Come in and chat with Nicole or Doug about your love of games and watch as they help you complete your collection or find your childhood favorite. And don't forget, Retro City Games loves trade-ins. So if you have any Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega, Xbox, PlayStation, or even PC games, come in and visit Retro City Games today. Welcome to the new metropolis of gaming, Retro City Games. Um, hey out there, uh, what about this listeners? We are back at it. Um, this episode is stemming out of an earlier episode, episode four on short-term missions, where we mentioned in that episode, we mentioned a friend of ours, Kyle Rice, who runs uh, Project 54 Outreach up in Skid Row. So uh, we have him on the podcast today. We're going to be talking about that and homelessness and some other topics. So um, I'm going to introduce Kyle, and he's going to give us a little bit of background on what Project 54 Outreach does. So Kyle, why don't you tell us? So Project 54 is kind of, it started out as a calling for me that I thought God was really telling me to help out the people of Skid Row. So our our main focus is two beliefs that everyone should always have a Bible, no matter their circumstances. And also uh, just really putting our faith in God, knowing that he can change any life. And how we do that is not just telling people about God, but actually walking through their faith with them through the whole process. Okay, and then you also, you, what are some of the events or what are some of the things that you guys actually do? What are... Well, we have a monthly event um, that is, uh, it's called uh, Brunch and Skid Row, where basically we bring a uh, professional chef, Kyle Powers, from Fork in the Road Catering, and he basically makes food in front of everybody uh, with a lot of our staff. And we also pass out Bibles, Christian literature. We have a big shopping area for toiletry kits. And uh, just recently, Kyle here played a DJ for us, played some music. Yes, there are there are two Kyles here. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, but the main focus of why we do it um, is we set up these huge tables, and it's, it's basically uh, we try to create an atmosphere, a community atmosphere. And the whole purpose is not really uh, the food or the toiletry kits. It's mainly just getting to know the people and actually showing them love. Yeah. And and, so. Oh yeah, and all all four of us were up there this last Saturday, right? Because he just yeah. we just ran one. With, it's it's the last Saturday of every month. Is that correct? Last Saturday of every month. Yeah, so we were all up there. Um, it's a great event. I've been a couple times. Travis, how many times have you been? A couple times. Kyle, that was your first time. Ryan, you've been a couple times. Yeah. And you got invited to DJ. Yeah. <laughs> you know to put in work. I gave myself the easy job. <laughs> <laughs> um, so today's episode, we're so we're going to stem out of the Project Fifty Four, um, but. Today's episode is going to be focused on um, homelessness and, and the church and, and Christians, we, what we as Christians should be doing, and just some of the things that, that go around that. And so we're going to talk about that. So let's start, though, first by Kyle Rice. Um, <laughs> not DJ Kyle? No, not DJ Kyle. Um, what are some of the things that you've learned about 
homelessness in the because you've been doing it for about a year now it's the project 54 is about a year it's a little a, over year and a half project year, 54, year and a half. Yeah. yeah so what are some of the things you've learned in the last year and a half about homelessness up at skid row well as a lot of you guys know i've kind of been around homelessness uh and different level um mm -hmm. for a long time but it just recently is when project 54 started i kind of really started thinking about how faith kind of runs in with it and it kind of turned everything on its head for me and actually homelessness is very complex. You can actually take any uh, any problems or sin in the world, it kind of almost relates to homelessness. There's prostitution, there's alcoholism, addiction, poverty, um, mental illness. It's just such a complex issue. And I think that's uh, one of the hard things that we actually have to overcome as Christians. And I think that's why a lot of people choose not to even touch homelessness as uh, one of their ways to serve. Is because why? Just, it's complex. Mm. How do you solve a problem that is so uh, so hard, you know? It's not like it's just one agenda, it's you're fighting a whole bunch of agendas. And it's also such a, uh, it's actually, it's really sad too. When you get to know people at that level, and that's what we're really about, trying to create that relationship with them, that's what makes it hard. Mm. So so tell us, tell us how maybe from the day that you had, if you even want to tell that story, that encounter with that man, Mm. Um, and how, the, the way you understand poverty and homelessness today versus how you approached it kind of before you jumped in and started this whole project. Maybe that would give us like a little bit of an understanding of what you've learned and what has kind of shaped and changed the way you approach even these events that you have, how you approach it, why you approach it, what you're doing more than just passing out food. Yeah. Even though it's bomb food, it's good food. <laughs> it's not a bad idea. So. I, my wife likes to say, uh, bring this up, and it's uh, kind of embarrassing, but I really, if I can say this as a Christian for many, many years, is I actually did not like homeless people. It, w it was uh, just the nature of the, for me that it was, it was hard. There was this very big uh, distinction that I thought I was completely on the other side of life for them. Um, and then one day, uh, the story that kind of started Project 54 was... I was uh, I was in Skid Row and a homeless person stopped me and they pulled out uh, a Bible out of nowhere and uh, the guy was um, legitimately had some serious mental illnesses and he stopped and he clearly took out uh, spoke to me with a Bible in his hand saying God needs you to start helping these people and he pointed to Skid Row I told the guy to leave me alone and then he uh, started pointing to some verse in the Bible and started getting angry with me. He's like, no, you need to listen. God's calling you to start leading these people. And uh, trying to blow him off and then he kept trying to get my attention. He's like, no, you need to start listening. God's trying to tell me to tell you to start leading these people. They need a leader out here. So he folded up his Bible and started talking about like butterflies or something like that after him. <laughs> so it really got me thinking for the first time in my faith though, you know, um, that uh, how do you really help out Skid Row? Skid Row is 54 blocks, serves 10 to 12,000 people. It's the third biggest homeless camp in, in the world. And um, I saw nothing but violence. And I saw nothing but addiction and um, poverty. And it was really hard to see past that. And Project 54 kind of started was a belief. I was trying to wrap my head around this problem. How do you solve this problem? And it kind of just came to me one day that, oh, maybe if there was more Bibles in Skid Row than needles and crack pipes, maybe that would kind of make a dent. And that's literally, we just started buying Bibles and giving them out. That's kind of how it started at the, at the very beginning. 
So when you use that word complex, is is what you're saying is the reason people don't touch her, the reason people is because of the way the way you view it. When you say complex, kind of flesh that out a little bit. Like, what do you mean by complex? It's it's hard to understand. In, it's complex in in two forms. That basically that what you're saying, you can look at someone physically homeless and you can automatically tell that they're homeless. And you can automatically tell the distinction that I don't understand what it's like to sleep on a sidewalk. I sleep in a huge house, mm -hmm. right? Or even if I don't sleep in a huge house, I sleep in an apartment. I don't have to worry about my food and uh, I stress about money, but it's not to the level where it's, you know, I don't, I'm worried about what I'm going to eat or, and also, um, we're not trained how to handle homelessness. Mm -hmm. We are not. We're not trained to say, okay, uh, this guy has three different mental disorders. How do you talk to mm -hmm. someone? Or someone is, we have people that are, are uh, that go to CR and they come down who, who, who were addicted to drugs for years, but they even tell me uh, with tears in their eyes, I don't understand how the addiction got that bad. Mm. And, or I don't understand what it's like to be a prostitute in order to survive. And I think when you come uh, front with that as Christians, we're just kind of like, okay, well, I don't want to touch that one because I, I'm so far from that. So it's part of the complexity then, the unwillingness is us as Christians or just people in general, um, an unwillingness to step inside of their story to to try and understand, to begin to understand. Yeah. Is that part of the complexity? The complex, that, that, I guess that part of it is, like you were saying, like when you first, the way you used to look at homelessness versus how you understand it on a deeper level now and your desire to help and be a part of that, that process. Yeah, basically, I really thought that we had to solve the problem. I really thought that when you looked at someone you had to solve, it was kind of like a Rubik's Cube, right? We look at a Rubik's Cube like, man, this is ridiculously hard. Maybe not for people like Keith, but for people like I me that are common. I did not solve yeah. it. Well, with all your time off. You, yeah. yeah. okay. you have 15 weeks this summer. <laughs> 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 Sorry, seven. I, yeah, I tried yeah, once. Like it seven. didn't work out. Yeah. So Just take all the stickers off and rearrange them. Exactly. Yeah. Cheat this. So I think, but that's what we do, is that Christians, we, we, we look at it and say, we have to solve this problem. And that's what I was trying to do and, mm. and, and when it's complex. But when you really dive down to it, um, homelessness is, it may be complex, but the answers are still the same. That how do you solve it is just the same as any other ministry or any other type of problem solving. I think, yeah, I think I feel that on like a personal level, like when you're talking about how it's complex and so people don't want to touch it because they don't have any answers and things mm -hmm. like that. I feel like I'll be driving and I'll see a homeless person and in my mind I go, and you should stop and like do and like try and do something. But then I have the other side that makes me keep driving because now I'm fighting with myself going, so what are you just gonna stop every time you see a homeless person? And so then I was really having that internal struggle of like, so when do I stop and when do I not? Like what do I do? Like and I I I think and I think Project 54 is a great example of this, is that then I was reading this book called uh, called No Easy Jesus. And it it happened to, like, I literally happened to read this chapter right as I was wrestling back and forth with this. And he said, basically the author says, I get it. Like, I was like, man, did he, like, hear me? Because <laughs> it's like, I get it. You can't stop every time you see a homeless person and, and give them the shirt off your back. And he said, so the answer to your question of when do I help is when your resources directly meet the need in front of you. Hmm. And I was like... Yeah, I guess 
Yeah, and so and then I see something like Project Fifty Four, and I go, "That's it. It's it's we have these resources sitting directly in front of a need." And so and so I see that too. Which which what I mean by that is how Project Fifty Four is taking action in terms of uh, allowing people uh, a way to to help with a problem that seems so large on an individual level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think too that it's. That one of the things that you can even add to that though and what I learned from this and from especially what I just told you is you have to listen I think sometimes we have this internal struggle but there is a difference when you listen to when you feel God is calling you to do something because uh, one of the things that I love about what I have learned and what other people have learned is it, it just didn't stop on skid row you know I uh, there are times where I do stop and I do have a conversation with homeless people um, I, I go shopping with homeless people on a regular basis. It's actually kind of a, whenever somebody asks me for food, uh, even in my hometown, I say, okay, grab a cart and we go hang out for 45 minutes, we go shopping. Um, when do you stop and when you don't? I think it really comes down to when you feel God's calling you to. Mm-hmm. And I think that we're not listening as a generation, that um, I, we really lost touch with that. I think sometimes, it, there's been many times where I've sat at church and I tell people this all the time. I knew Project 54 was supposed to start years ago. And I had many opportunities to, uh, that I don't like to talk about, where people wanted me to help out with homeless ministries and I chose not to. I, there's days I can actually remember um, during worship service and other things like that, God was calling me, he's like, man, you need to start doing something. And I remember it in my heart and just literally took that incident where that homeless person came up to really open my eyes. So take it to the level is maybe sometimes when you're driving and you really pray about it, you go and ask God, is this what you want me to do right now? Mm-hmm. We actually had a girl at our last event. My wife was telling me this amazing story where this girl, she came to Project 54 event and she was passing out Bibles and she was actually, uh, she wanted after the experience, she's like, I really want to talk to homeless people. But she didn't know. She's like, do I do it now? What do I do? So my wife sees her and she's praying off to the side, but not like, you know, oh, dear God, please help me. Like really intense praying. And she immediately after that, after a couple minutes, she walked and she started praying for people. And she started doing it. Yes, that's resources were there, but take that to the level even when you're at home. If you're a homeless person, just be like, hmm, and pray. Like, man, is this the moment that I'm supposed to do it? The time is the greatest thing you can give to a homeless person. Yeah. And we lose that. And if you can give them that time, that's more important than a sandwich, more important than a shirt or anything. It's good. Yeah, I was going to say, talk about that for a second, the difference between, like, uh, what we feel like is help and what you have come to experience that a lot of the homeless community, like, really desire. Yeah. I think the big thing is that, and you guys can probably relate to in your ministries. Um, I don't understand with homeless ministry why we don't listen to the homeless people. I feel like we think we have answers, but we don't talk to the homeless people. The one thing I can ever give my credit, uh, me and my wife always talk about this, I can give credit for Project 54, is we do all these things, the Bible studies, helping out the other missions, to the events, even to what we cook, um, is all because what homeless people have told us, right? And it was funny, um, you guys know Eric. Um, Eric was formerly known as New York. He used to, I first met him a little over a year ago, and I was talking to him, and I kind of was trying to do a promotion for Project 54, and I arrogantly asked uh, Eric, do you think God could change Skid Row? 
And he said, no. I was kind of taken back because I thought, you know, for sure the answer would be yes. And he said, I didn't understand that his belief was he was agnostic. He didn't believe in anything, you know, or he didn't really know what was going on. So he said, no, because God would need Christians to do his work for him. But Christians don't care about us. They give us stuff and then they walk away. Mm-hmm. So this, so this is where I, where, because where, we're talking about the individual, and we all have roles to play individually when we see someone that's homeless. But the question that keeps coming to my mind, and this is where it relates to the short-term missions episode that we did, is what is the role of us as a collective, as a corporate body that we call the church? Like, what is our responsibility here? And I, I've begun to tie this to a lot of different things, um, and. I'll say the thing that I start to tie it to is how we understand life, right? Um, so the church does a really good job at protecting life for certain things, mm-hmm. um, at certain maybe politically advantageous things, right? So we're talking about like pro-life, the abortion debates and all that. And that's all something we should be. We should protect the life of the unborn, all that sort of stuff. That's not what I'm talking about here. I think we don't extend that ethic, that pro-life idea out far enough, right? And I think this is where it comes into, where we don't consider homeless people people. We don't consider them life, I think, as a collective. And I think this is where we've started to fall short. So what I think we we need to start working on is starting to see these people on Skid Row as like, I mean, because how hard is it to listen to them, right? I know one of the stories was like, they wanted eggs. How hard is it the next time we go up to cook for them to bring eggs, right? But for so long, we've been sort of slamming our head against the wall, saying that's not what they need, that's not what they need, that's not what they need, they need this. So we, we bring up what we think they need and not what they want, right? What they're sort of so is that part So is that part of the story, the narrative that we tell each other, the safe route so that we don't actually have to get our hands dirty because it's complex? And so what we do is we go, here, we're going to drop off sandwiches, then we're going to leave, we're going to feel good about each other, uh, about ourselves or whatever, and so, and we keep putting them in that same box. Like you're saying, we're not treating them as humans. We're not treating people as people, um, or we don't we don't uh, adopt, or we don't right. take care of the orphan. We don't right. take care of because it's it's getting our hand. It's messy, right? And, and it's complex. Like, right. I mean, to to your to your point, Kyle, is it's it's very it is very messy. I think that to go off on that, I would actually like to put it this way. I think we forgot how to love as Christians. Mm-hmm. To be honest. Yeah. I think that we are so selfish in this generation. And uh, I remember one day, um, remember that one day I texted you, Travis, and I was just like, I'm so sick of watered down Christianity. And because I had an incident happen with me on the street. And I think why we're watered down so much is because we're not teaching how to truly love people anymore. Because what Eric was telling me on that is that I need love. I need, I can't see God. You have to show it to me, right? And the only way you can really do things is you have to completely invest your whole life in something and say, I love you so much, and this is how I'm going to do it, right? So I think, to extend on that, I think another problem is we totally forgot how to love in our generation. And that's what Eric really is. And, and Eric, when his testimony, he always talks about it. He's like, look, look, someone finally came and showed me that they loved me. Right. And I always talk about it on our uh, events that when I asked Eric if we can bring anything to Skid Row that would help, what do you think would truly help? And he said, can you bring just one other friend that loves me as much as you do? Right. And so I think there is this, this danger um, that we get in, this, this danger, this rut that we get into where we always, I, I, this is, and I, 
coming from a place of honesty, this was me even before how you and I started talking about Project 54, uh, you know, last year and all that, is that um, I always think it's someone else's problem, right? I think someone else in the church will do it, or I think someone else will take care of it um, because I don't consider it a human, I, I didn't consider it a human problem, I considered it like a uh, logistical problem, right? Yeah. And that's just oh, that's not what I was, right? I, I wasn't, I, Skid Row wasn't something that I could fix myself, right? Yeah. Um, but I never considered the human cost of not stepping in and doing whatever I could do, even if it's not a whole lot, right? Even if it is just going up once a month to talk to, you know, some people up that live up on Skid Row. Um, so are you saying even that, that when we sit, when we sit together, we see ourselves as individuals, not a corporate, quote unquote, corporate body who can actually do this. We go, oh, somebody else will tackle that, and then somebody else will tackle that, or enough yeah. people will tackle or not that. Even, maybe not even the, the, it's not me, it's like, oh, I'm not part of, like, I still consider it a corporate problem. Like, I still think the church would be the best vehicle, best institution to, to tackle this problem, but I think, well, I'm not going to do it because you, and, and we can go to scripture, but like, there's, when I talk about the body, uh, you know, there are different parts of the body, right? Um, but I, I failed to see that me refusing, so like if that's for the sake of the analogy, I'm the eyes, mm. right? But if I'm not looking at the problem, the body can't go over there, Yeah. right? And mm. so well I think about the individual, we always put off the responsibility because we don't consider it, consider the human cost. Mm. But that means the body, the collective, the, the corporate body is going to fail right, every time. See, I think for me, the excuse I would make is like, driving by somebody and I go no 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 I don't need to like stop for this one person like that's like like that's not what I need to be doing I need to like sit and figure out how to like impact this whole community right. and then literally like the quote popped into my mind it pops into my mind every time I come up with that like, excuse that says um, if you if you don't do something for somebody like you'll most likely not do anything for anybody right and that's what I find that I'm doing is I go, no, I don't need to stop and help that one person. I need to go and dedicate some resources to help an entire community. And so then what happens is I don't. <laughs> <laughs> so then how do you solve the false guilt? Because that's what you're really talking about. There's right. this sense of fault there or guilt and then maybe a little bit of false guilt. And I heard some, I think it's, I think it's, um, there's no, I'm Andy Stanley said, uh, don't feel guilty, feel responsible. Hmm. And so at what point <clears throat> does a person stop so how do you, not want, just to solve the false I guilt. Can tell you, oh, I can tell you how I think okay. we in America have decided to solve the false guilt. As we've said, well, those people deserve it. Well, yeah, but which but is, which but is a story. We, which, but that's which, what we've done. Which, like, we, think, which we've said, you guys are less than you guys right. are not. What I'm asking the honor, because here's the deal. It goes back to what Kyle, DJ Kyle was saying. <laughs> was, was, uh, was reading that book and going when your resources meet a need okay right. cool so but the argument would be is every time you pull off the freeway you have a shirt on right right or every time you pull it you can you can pack <laughs> I mean, it not always i know it's <laughs> yeah. it depends on day hey, it's summertime yeah. it's summertime <laughs> it's rare but yeah and so i think like i know a guy he cruises around with these almost like you know your elementary school earth right. earthquake uh, packets you know right. and he hands them out anytime you see someone but with like multiple things hygiene kits, uh, you know, water, things that will at least sustain this guy. And he puts in a devotion in there and right. stuff. And I think he even has conversations with him. I don't know the right. extent of it. My point being is this is I got to this place where I can see a lot of guilt in my life. Right. Like, or I start feeling good. Ah, oh, I can't go. And then eventually you go, well, 
if everyone does do something and right. gives themselves to something, I think that's the bigger problem right. is not everyone is giving themselves right. to something. So, so at what point you can't have, you can, the company can't have all CEOs. Right. Right. To your yeah. point with the body. And so now you go like, okay, is this whole don't feel guilty, feel responsible. And then he kind of explains like, you know, some things that you need to do in light of whatever that thing is you're going to tackle, give your life to. I mean, James says true Christianity is take care of the fatherless, the orphan, the widow, right? right? And the um, and 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 the homeless. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, if that's true Christianity, then none of us are exempt. Right. We all <laughs> we all have to jump in, and maybe the church would look crazier if we actually took that serious. Well, and I think this even goes back to part of the, the again going back to that short term missions thing is that we often find that we need to do that somewhere else. Right. Yeah. So we travel to go to do that. Right. Not to rehash that debate, but we go somewhere else to do that. And I don't fully understand why. Um, and we can get into it, but we it might we often be don't, because right. we want to avoid. We don't we want to see avoid. the right. We do. We want don't want to see the people like our literally yeah. our physical neighbors. We don't want to help, but we'll help our neighbors, our quote neighbors across. You know, sure. uh, I, a plane trip away. I think it's. I think what you're talking about is because it's selfish desires. I think we want to get filled up in Africa. We want to get filled up in uh, some other foreign country. And we get filled up by that, by giving that way, but we don't want to fill up ourselves and helping out our own community. Right. And we don't realize that there's a huge need in our community and that that's why we should do it. And that's, that's, I think, what a lot of people's big beef with the church is. Right. Right? We want to take care of each other, but church wasn't meant to do that. Church, you know, we're supposed to go make disciples of the nation, right? That's why that's what Jesus the last thing he told the disciples, right? Go do it. But we actually don't want to do that in our community. You get better Instagram pictures in that. Exactly. <laughs> and and the thing is is just that and we're talking about as a church need, but it does really does fall down an individual need because right. everybody's individually supposed to call to go do something. It's amazing what one conversation or just one stop can do, right? And and to your point, Kyle, do I stop? The reason why I contacted Travis and I was texting him about weak Christianity, watered down Christianity, is because I got a call from my friend and there was a homeless person in Skid Row and he was uh, just got done raining and he was on 6th and Central. Central is a pretty main street that people drive by. Um, the guy fell asleep and in the rain for seven hours in under 40 degree weather in LA. He woke up, I had to wake him up and uh, see what was going on and he literally had his snot, literally had like it was like glass. He couldn't move because how cold he was. And he was sleeping in the rain without a tent and without a blanket. So got him food, coffee, we talk. I, I was grabbing him blankets and, and he refused to go to the hospital with me. But why I was actually hurting in so much was how many Christians drove by that guy. Hundreds and hundreds of Christians saw a homeless person sleeping in the rain and he borderline died. And we were gonna let someone die because of inconvenience? Or maybe because we don't know if we should stop or not? That's how scary not stopping is. And, and, and one of my favorite examples is our Bible studies on Tuesdays. Um, we had a guy who was going down Gladys that was walking, literally go jump off the bridge. And he told us and uh, two of our um, volunteers went and asked him to come to Bible study with us because we walk around and we ask people to go to the Bible study with us and he said as I was walking down Gladys to go jump off a bridge I said God please tell me my wife my life has meaning and send me a sign that I'm supposed to be alive (laughs) and somebody said can you come to a Bible study he's like and he said this in our Bible study apparently God must have a purpose 
mm. from my life. All because you stopped and said something. We don't understand what these people are going through. And it seems like a huge burden. But the problem with homelessness is that they live in hell. And I think that's another reason why it's complex. I bring up complex because we don't understand what hell is like. I don't understand what hell is like. Uh, I had a, I like to say I had a softball pitch life where it was an easy for me to hit a home run and some people have had a Randy Johnson fastball to the forehead, right? So we don't understand that, right? And there's something very uh, meaningful. We had a guy named Rob in one of our Bible studies said, you don't understand Kyle, I believe in God, but I live in hell. I'm addicted to drugs, sleeping in tent, hearing gunshots. So it's just hard to see God when you live in hell. Yeah. So it's up to that individual person to go to that person and say, wow, talk to me about it. That's what you can do. And you can be a light when someone lives in hell. And I think that's the answer is kind of the other problem too, the complex problem, is that someone living in hell, yeah, man, it's, it's up to our responsibility. This is why discipleship is so important. And this is where a lot of people have beef with our church because we feel like we're not, not our church, but our churches in general, that they're not doing enough. That we're not actually doing what God actually called us to do. You show me the Bible where it says, Jesus said, you know what, just sit down in church all day and we'll be cool. You know, that was supposed to be the standard, you know. But Jesus set this amazing standard that it's almost hard to, to live by. And that's why we get frustrated and that we don't know what to do. But the only way we can do it is if we keep talking at least one person at a time, one stopping at a time. That's how we fulfill it. So you're talking, and we talked about this in episode four, was a lot of it is just us trying to be... Um, I guess good stewards with the with the with the talk right. of going. How do we figure this out? Hmm. How do we actually even you know we and we I think we touched and I think we are fair on not only backyard missions but overseas missions is saying there's a place for both, right? Absolutely. There's a place, um, and and how do we resource that? How do we take people there back? How do you, how do we bring people to Project Fifty Four? And then, and then bringing them back into the real world, even in their neighborhoods or whatever, keep, keep investing in there. And um, yeah, I, I, I think, you know what I'm saying? I think it's so important. This is why we as Christians have to push each other to take on burdens. Okay. Like if you take on a burden, um, first of all, you guys brought up a great point in the missions. What do you do when you come back, right? From a mission. Um, because you just had this really great experience for a week, right? How do you counter that? Mm -hmm. Well, you still do the same thing in everyday life, right? That, no, I'm not serving children in Africa for a week, but you still have a chance to fight a burden when you're at home. And then that, you're still doing something. Because you can also, like, I do Project 54, but I have a friend who runs a nonprofit who helps transvestite prostitutes in China. That is no way my field of expertise that I know anything about but she called and she's asking me to come out there and minister them. So we're trying to set up a way. Go and do it, right? You can do both. There has to. I think it's important to do both. You know, and I think that that's what Jesus actually wants us to do. So one of the things that we've talked about going off that, Kyle, is is um, really why are we actually here? Mm. Right, so for the listeners out there that are going, this is this is great, but like, what is what is my job description? Um, one of the conversations we've had is about poverty. Mm. And um, I think that the word poverty brings up a, a whole lot of pictures in people's minds. Um, and it usually has something to do with um, 
lack of, lack of resources or lack of resources or whatever um, but you've always inspired me in the way that you've gone after poverty in a much bigger sense um, so can you maybe give us a, a, a few words on, on really what poverty means yeah I think that I had this great conversation and I talked to you guys about a guy named John Hahn who, who helps out distribute um, funding for homelessness and he told me one time and uh, I really when I started Project 54 and I still try to like how can I constantly try to learn more and more about it so we had a meeting about that and he asked me about poverty and he said how would you explain poverty and I said a lack of material things so he said wealth is abundance of it I said yeah he's like you are what's wrong with Christians <laughs> straight out called me out and he said your Project 54 is gonna fail and I was just like I know harsh right Sounds like an encouragement. Yeah. And the thing is, it's true though, that if you go and, and you said, you can go to Africa and people live in huts, but that's just their culture and their community, mm -hmm. and you call them poor, they would be very upset with you. And he's like, it's a lack of spiritual and emotional health. Mm -hmm. And on this journey that I've been going on, I can totally see it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And that, that's what true poverty is. That's what we're trying to solve, right? Is how do you get that, when someone's living in hell, how do you get that spiritual wealth? Because I blame Christianity for skin real, and people, I know that's kind of crazy, but I think he's exactly right. We have a bunch of poor people helping poor people. You give someone clothes, yeah. and you say, well, I did my deed today, I gave, right? But then all these homeless people tell me, oh yeah, I just sold it for drugs, right? <laughs> so did you really help? You know what I mean? Do you understand the culture? Do you understand the community? What's the most important thing, too, that you're trying to do? And I think, when we have people that come to Project 54, they have a hard time with it at the start. And then, like, later on, they'll get it. And they're like, that's right. Like, if he dies, but he knows God and he's saved. And not only that, I know for a fact that if Jesus is in your life, he can change life and the spiritual health that we have and, and how happy we are. Do we do more for that person than anyone ever could? You know what I mean? And if that person finds God, I'm willing to bet that if you put God in someone's life, he'll change their life. So this is something that we did talk about at the short-term missions uh, episode, and this is where I think the tension really comes in. Because essentially, if I'm, I'm hearing you right, and we've talked about this, um, you're saying the need of Skid Row is not material, it's spiritual, mm -hmm. right? So how do you get those people who live there to, to trust you? Because one of the things I said on the short-term missions was is that sometimes when you go to a place and you're only trying to bring the gospel, sometimes they don't trust you because you haven't, you don't understand their their uh, some of their other needs that they consider more important than that, right? Yeah. So how how do you deal with that? Um, I understand. And again, this is something that I've come to learn is that the, the people of Skid Row um, often can get fed three times a day, or or at thirteen. Thirteen. That's right. Thirteen. <laughs> and there are people coming to donate clothes all the time. So then it tells me, well, clearly that's not the material, right? Mm -hmm. So I think what, what missions comes down to, and I think this is something that I've had to learn, is missions comes down to addressing the correct need. Not the, not the need that I think they have, but the need that they actually have. So how do you, like how did you, I know Eric just told you like, hey, if you could bring more friend, like another friend down to me, but like how do you attempt to parse that out? Once again, it goes back to, Love, discipleship is love. You have to show love. You know what I mean. When what does that look like? Just how the Bible says. All right. Well, let me throw this out to you because because here's what I hear you saying is: a first, like anything, 
we actually try to fix so that we can avoid. So, so instead of listening, we try to fix, right? Mm -hmm. But if we would just listen, we would actually hear what the other needs in this situation, whatever the situation is. That mm -hmm. could be with your spouse, yep. to listen. And so you began to listen. And then you began to hear, we need eggs. But really, right, is you heard, we need friendships, we need relationships. And so, so it's easy, I would argue, it's easy. Even if you don't have it, it's easy to invest things and money because right. it's safe and it's easier i guess and it's, definitely it's it, there's no complexity right, there right, it's, yeah. here's here's your sandwich here's your jacket and we're done and we're done and then we're like all right we did it and and i would even i would even argue that that's why people don't invest long term right. because there's no there is no return in that right there's no real return and so the way to change it is to actually give yourself to invest yourself without right. even though you still will without any expectation of return so right so you you chose eric well literally everything not just that's what, have to well not just every your whole your whole person your whole life because if you go and you just ask like what is love first john three eighteen, you know it's, it's your actions you know what i mean and jesus set this example right that i'm gonna die for you and that's what love looks like literally sacrifice everything we don't know about that as humans. Like we really have a hard time with what actually love is. You know what I mean? Um, that's why there's no greater love to yeah. someone that I mean, you yeah. serve your country and in the military, right? Because you're willing to lay down your life for something that you truly believe in, right? But what does love look like exactly? It's literally giving everything, right? If I came to my wife, I love using this example, that if I went to my wife and it, my wife's like having a horrible day at work and she's fighting with her boss and everything kind of sucks and I came to her and I said, oh, I bought you a dress. My wife would not say, man, does Kyle love me? You know what I mean? Oh, that was nice. You know what I mean? That was cool. You thought of me, that's cool. But if I went to my wife and said, you know what? Let's go to Catalina. The kids are taken care of. Uh, I already have meals planned. Um, I got you your favorite, you know, I bought you a dress, that one you really wanted. And then we, and over dinner, we talked about what was going on in our life. And we just have this whole thing because my wife's going through a really hard time my wife would be like wow he really thought of everything mm. he really wanted to invest in me and my concerns and he saw a need and he really tried to continue to be there right so that's the same thing with homelessness is that people forget it just wasn't that with eric where eric's story is one of the most things that people forget is one day i saw eric eating out of a dog bowl and this answers your question how to start eric was eating out of a dog bowl and for the first time in my life, it hit me really hard. I said, this is what we came to, like someone needed a dog bowl, like that's it. My heart was just hurting. Problem is, there's addiction, then there's love that Eric was addicted to. Eric, anything that, that you give him will get sold for more drugs. And this is where I argue with people that you shouldn't just give money. Find out what their need are, who they truly are. So he went to color me mine, and me and my wife and kids, we painted them bowls and uh, cups. And my whole thinking was, he's, you know, who would sell a two-year-old, you know, cup uh, that painted for her, right? So Eric opened it and started crying. It was the first time he ever hugged me. And then it was another thing. Then, then he lost his tent. Everything got stolen. So we bought him a tent. And uh, the most expensive thing I ever bought him, 40 bucks. But in the tent was a Bible. Eric pulled out that Bible and started crying over that Bible and put it to his head and promised me he'd read it every single day, which he still does. 
And the reason why is because why I continually was there throughout the process and see their needs. It wasn't you just showed up and said, peace, okay, you got something. It was, look, I'm going to show you God is real because I love you so much. I'm going to show you what love actually looks like. And scripturally, God is love, right? Mm -hmm. So, and that's why I tell my team this, that, you know, that if you want to, Matthew 5, 16, right? Let your light shine so others may see your good deeds and follow the Lord. Who is that light? We need to be that light to these people. And if you're there constantly, that's it's, it changes lives if you're just involved, you know? So I, I, I think I heard Francis Chan say this, and it goes through. A lot of times he says, lay down your life seem, uh, means to die. Mm-hmm. And I think he says, uh, are you you're willing to die, but are you willing to live for somebody? Yeah. Right? And so I would argue it's almost you're living for that person. Yeah. Right? Like you're, you're taking your life and you are you are living for that individual, right? And you are giving yourself. And his point was like, it's almost, you know, it's self-serving to die. Like it's heroic, mm-hmm. you know, um, almost easy. But to actually live for that person, to go back to go spend time, spend money, and not just a, a, just a one-stop kind of deal, but to keep going back. And I think, you know, we, when we, we, there is a place for overseas missions. There's a place for local missions. But one of the scary things with local missions is, I think you brought up, is you could go back tomorrow. You right. could go back next month. You could go, you don't have to raise three right. grand. You mm-hmm. don't have to raise $1,500. Not talking down on uh, global Absolutely missions. Not. It's no. just the fact that you can go to a Bible study or you can, you can be active, continuously active in that community. And this is, this is why, going back to that, I, I still struggle with whether short-term missions in and of themselves, like by themselves, there's nothing else around, are effective. Because to your point, Travis, that you said that death is, is sort of the easier one. It's because there's a finality to death. You can't give anything else, right? <laughs> but if you live for someone, you are continually being asked to give for them. Yeah. And so same thing, like if, you, if it's a short-term mission and that's it, if you partner with a long-term mission there, Absolutely. totally fine. Like that's, that's, that's what you should be doing. And then you come home and that's great because you've, you've learned, you've grown, and the people there have gained from you being there. But to, but to like local missions and global missions, if they're long-term, it's a continual sacrifice. It's, you always have to do more. There's never an end date, right? Yeah. Whereas like with death or with a short-term mission, it's like you go there and you're done and that's it. That's the easier one because you cannot give anymore. But then, yeah. To to, to mean, Kyle's point is right. tell your wife, hey man, we had a date. We had a date five years ago. We had a date five years ago. Yeah, we're, done. we're good. Um, it was a good date. I, I, we we got married, didn't yeah. we? <laughs> I think we actually do more harm when we do stuff like that. I think right. when we go in, first of all, I always find it funny, and, we, and I've had a conversation with this guy with you guys about it. We go to places and minister to people. Where we don't give them a Bible. That just beyond. It doesn't make any sense to me. Like, hey, here's God. But no follow through, no nothing. Hopefully right. you learn that from a little bit. You know what I mean? Yeah. I almost think that, and plus, if you just go there, how do they know that's legit if there's no follow-up? You know what I mean? How, and that's exactly what you're saying, you know? And that's why I think, I think you should push yourself, but, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't minister to someone, but maybe help out the people that are going through these right. things and just contribute to what they're doing in the, in, in the process of it. But it's just, I think it also, we forget that it's also another level. What that if you pushing yourself internally mm-hmm. to constantly do this there and here, what is it doing yourself? You're gonna keep learning up. So, so would you say, cause back to DJ Kyle's point too, and this is what I for, was gonna ask and I kind of lost my train of thought, but it almost seems that when you and I have had very candid conversations about you know people's lack of 
um, willingness to get involved and get dirty and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And I say like, well, who were we five years ago, mm-hmm. right? Well, where, where was I at five years ago? Mm-hmm. And so, because we have to be honest with ourselves and this guilt, false guilt, whatever, feeling of I need to be responsible for something, I need to go long-term with this is, it seems that the way in which we actually move forward is through, through doing and through educating. Mm-hmm. So, you didn't have a team when you started. You mm-hmm. just started. You just do it. To your point, it's like, what am I gonna do? I gotta solve the whole problem. You're like, you know, you solve the whole problem. You you enter in here, mm-hmm. right? And 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 so, so you get to this place where you can actually see. What we try and do is we try and go. I'm gonna solve the. I'm gonna solve the problem right now. You can't. Do, you can't do it. You just have to enter in like that. So. Mm-hmm. It, but then on the other side, and then I even see, because I watch and I observe, and you see people, they don't know what to say, they don't know how to say it, they're uncomfortable, they're awkward, rightly so, that you're entering into an environment in which you know nothing about, and you come in with a little bit of arrogance, and a little bit of like, okay, and you're, you're or maybe you're just scared. Mm-hmm. It's a scary thing to talk to a group of people, I don't care if they're homeless or they're rich, people have a hard time talking to wealthy people, because mm-hmm. they're intimidated by them. So there's that fear, you know what I'm saying? So it's constant education or re-educating. I don't know, that is kind of a thought I have is like, do you think that is moving forward is, okay, we see there's issues, but it seems that constantly educating and then actually just doing is the way in which we flip the culture? Yeah, I think Ravi Zacharias said it perfectly in his book, uh, Jesus Among Secular Gods. He said the best way to fight it is with knowledge and experience. Because if you constantly do your experience, say I have a, you know, experience, I constantly do these things, well eventually, other people are gonna be like, man, this guy got it. Like, what is he doing? This is amazing. I think that the best thing you can do is not just telling people about something, and I'm not, and I'm really bad at that actually with Project 54, is I just, I always just assume, hey, they'll, they'll pick it up, right? Because if someone's doing something crazy, Everybody else is gonna be like, man, that guy's doing some crazy stuff. I need to keep, I need to do that. I need to do that and be around. I think that's the best example you can be. It's just constantly pushing and to get the next generation to be like, wow, dude, these guys, yeah. because it keeps jumping on, right? You're gonna yeah. jump on, gonna jump on, you know what I mean? And that's the, I don't know. And I think that's where it kind of goes back to the church. We, we should push it. Us as Christians should just always be like, if we're, we all need to be doing crazy things. And I think that we all come to a point in our faith where we kind of just settle down. And we're just like, okay, I get it, you know what I mean? But we're not challenging ourselves always and always and always, you know? And I think that once you take on a burden, when you fight that burden, God's going to keep opening doors. Oh, yeah, what about this? What about this problem? What about this problem? What about this problem? And then it keeps pushing you. Yeah. I don't know if that makes sense, but... Yeah, no. I, do you, <laughs> I don't know why I want to ask Ryan this, but do you think we've, we've come to a place... And again, not just trying to figure this out, but is mm-hmm. we become content with knowing about instead of doing we become a culture of I want to know more, I want to know more, I want to know more, and we're just so filled up with knowledge yet not really maybe it's like a pseudo, but there's there's a lack of doing or do you see especially as a guy that helps helps um, facilitate missions is do you see not that, like, I, I believe that there's a desire to do so. I just don't think there's a, a, an enough people doing, leading it. Yeah. And so, therefore, but we also have created a culture where knowing the latest, you know, and hearing the latest. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I guess I hear all these clever lines and sermons, and I say, <laughs> you like the line, do the line. Yeah. Right. Do the, yeah. Do, do the very, the quote, you like the quote, do the quote now. 
but everyone's content with liking the quote. They don't do the quote. And I'm not bashing yeah. them. I'm just saying I think that's a that's an air we breathe maybe. Yeah. I, and, um, Kyle, one of the reasons I respect you so much and um, why I love what, what you got going on is because you understand this, um, what I'm about to say. But, but, Trav, to your point, I think one of the biggest problems is we – when we have the flashy one-liner that can get tweeted out, um, we kind of paint Christianity into a, a quick fix kind of a way, uh, quite kind of a men- mentality where it's, okay, I'm supposed to love, so if I go love, then there won't be any poverty anymore. <laughs> you know, or like, okay, so we went and did that brunch, so, so here we go. So we solved it. Right. And it's, but, and and it is a, I don't mean to make light of it. It's a serious thing because um, what I've seen in my own life and what I see constantly in the church is burnout, Mm. right? Where when you're sold, hey, we're going to go do this and it's going to fix everything. And then a year, two years into it, it hasn't fixed that thing. Then you go, well, I just wasted all my energy doing this. And that's not true. That the energy hasn't been wasted. Um, it, it's just that this is a journey, and this is something that you, that is a, a lifetime, and it's going to go through yeah. the generations of, of we are constantly going to be fighting this battle. Um, and so I think just educating um, people and me, having to remind myself that hey, this is a p- process. Um, and which is why I just I, I thank God for people like you, Kyle, who are on the ground going, no, we're going to do this thing long term, and calling other people to join you in that is the solution. Um, it, it's just that um, I don't know. I, I guess what I want listeners to to hear right now is um, the the effort that you've put in for the last year, the last two years, last five years, whatever, it hasn't been wasted. None mm. the God, God uses all of that. And um, he's using that to shape you. He's using that to shape the, the community that you're helping out in. Um, and so don't be discouraged. Keep going. Keep, keep pressing in and, and um, keep seeking this because although there's not a quick fix, um, life change does happen. And Kyle, you've got stories for days about that life change happening because you get to see the, the fruit. Um, I just think that sometimes the fruit doesn't come as quick as, as we hope it will, and then we get discouraged and kind of hit the eject button. Or we're wired for. <laughs> yeah. Well, right? yeah. yeah, I mean, I think there's this, I mean, this is a, I mean, it's a very Western thought. Yeah. The silver bullet idea is a very Western yeah. thought, right? It, it comes from rationalism. It comes from enlightenment rationalism, mm-hmm. and we want the argument, we want the thing. This even this even speaks to evangelism, right? And, and apologetics, like not that those are bad things, but we want the one thing that we can say, like this is the one line I can tell someone, and then they'll believe. This yeah. is the one argument I can tell them they'll yeah. defeat all their doubts. And we are wired this way because it's. One, we're educated this way, where it's built into our culture, it's built into, I mean, American America started as an enlightenment political experiment, um, and so um, it also ended the enlightenment, so that should tell you a lot. <laughs> it's a, it's a historic, yeah, there's, anyway. Um, okay. Okay. So, so we're not gonna get into that, but but that is part of what the way we are, at this point I think it's, it's far enough that we're wired to think that way. We're yeah. wired to, to want, the res, we're results oriented. I mean, that goes into, I mean, our our society and culture is a results-oriented culture. It's a transact. The, to your point earlier, when you're saying like, um, I, I, Travis is, I think you're making the different. When you're saying like, we want something, we want to do something, and then be done. That's a transaction versus a relation, right? Mm. So we're, we're transactional. We're not relational. Yeah. We want the receipt that says 
Skid Row is done, right? That we've paid off Skid Row and yeah. we're, and it's it's and it's never going to be that way, right? Because that that's not the problem. The problem is those the people that live right. in Skid Row want friends, want people to come up and love them. They want it's you, a relationship. They yeah. want you to go to college for right. life, right? And relationships <laughs> and relationships don't really end in that traditional it's good. sense. It's good. Right? And you see you see where that adds into the um, the frustration of somebody going. We helped them for a year and right. it hasn't been solved yet. That's on them. Which is because right. it's, yeah. it's, it's, this issue is Wait. so much deeper than what does that help look like? Right. And so we're going. Well, yeah. I turned in my, I did my time. I got my receipt. So why didn't why didn't we fix it? Right. Well, because we taught them the wrong thing to begin with. This right. is just there's a, there's a tension here that you have to just learn to live into. And right. Kyle's about to jump out of the seat, so I'm passing it to well, you. Well, uh, and I don't know if we're on the same page, but uh, we went to lunch and it was I don't even remember this. We were we came back and we, it was raining. We were in your car and we were having conversations. And even to your point, Ryan, encouraging listeners and people who really want to do something make impact. And I think deep down is is you, you know you've said this. You said this, and this be fair is you're like I've wanted to quit Project 30, uh, 54th over 30 times, mm-hmm. right? And so you have to have this I don't know, spiritual mm-hmm. grit, or whatever. And and so that element's there. That that's. People are going to want to quit their marriages. The best marriages want to quit sometimes. It just is what it is what it is. And so how do you kind of move forward from there? And I remember you and I having this conversation and going like, why me? Why me? Why me? I'm like, it has to be you because you're weird and crazy, man. Like, <laughs> like it, it ha- in a good way is, is it, it has to be you. And then I asked you this question. I said, okay, so are you just going to be another flyby, right? Are you just going to be one more pop-up tent? that went out there and gave some sandwiches or you actually, and you had to decide that. You have to decide that. You have to decide that every day is how are you going to build this and how are you going to see it continue to move forward even after you're dead? Yeah. yeah. I would say one more, one more high schooler that tried to start a t-shirt company. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's, are you going to yeah. outlast that even when two years into it? Like Ryan's point is it gets hard, right? And, and, and that's something you have to probably wrestle with every single day. It, it actually, in this, it, I'm actually intrigued to see what you guys say about this because it actually hurts my heart when you say something like that. Like, because it actually hurts me as a Christian now, where where I'm at in my life right now, uh, um, or just the thought that I'm not going to push myself or that I gave up. And I think that what is with our faith now that our new generation of Christians are just saying. We are not meant to be crazy. We are not meant mm-hmm. to go do crazy, yeah. amazing things. That we are meant to be just sit at church and be individuals and give what we want. Yeah. I just think we're missing so much out of our faith. And this is coming, and you guys know my story. I was a worship leader for years. I've been involved in my faith so much. But I have grown so much in this year and a half because I found God on Skid Row. And I tell people this and they're like, what? I'm just like, church is great and I love it. I know why God wants us to go be disciples. Because it's changed my heart and it'll change everybody's heart. And then eventually what happens is you get a group of Christians that come around each other that are just as crazy. So when you want to fall down, they say, nope, this is a God thing. This is how you do it. So why is it that do you guys feel in our Christian community now we kind of took the back seat. That is just kind of what you guys were even saying earlier. Mm-hmm. It's all about mm-hmm. knowledge. I need to get that one right. line, you know, and that will do things. 
But that was never meant Christianity was supposed to be. That was never meant. Why has it come to that point in our faith? Because there is a moment when the hype wears off. There is a moment when the high wears off and the, the goosebumps and the emotionally driven charge to go change the world wears off. And in that moment, that's when you um, come face to face with the reality of why am I doing this? And if the answer is self-serving reasons, mm-hmm. you're out. If the answer is something deeper than that, then it can turn into something very beautiful. But I think we need to equip people to one, yeah, give the give the emotionally driven charge to go change the world. Absolutely, I do it every, every time I'm on stage. But there also has to be at a deeper level of conversations like this where we go, okay, and that right. hype is going to wear off. And so when it does, I want you to be ready to double down and press in all the more and have people around you that are gonna keep you keep you moving in the right direction. I, I also think it, it goes back to your point that we've misunderstood what poverty really is, right? Mm. I think if you look at the history of the church is that the, the moment it became powerful, the moment it became tied up in the power of humanity, right? That we, it was political, it was <laughs> institutional and all that. And I'm not against institutionalized churches, I'm not yeah. against all yeah. that. But the moment Christianity gets tied into the Holy Roman Empire, as soon as that happens, I mean, and that's just a specific moment, but I mean, even in, in America, all that, that's where we take the vaccine and said, okay, we're good. Uh, Ryan and I have talked about that. That's where, if you want to picture the image of a kingdom, right, the kingdom of God, that's where you raise up the, the drawbridge and, you know, you circle the camp, you defend rather than engage, right? Mm-hmm. So the moment that it became powerful, like, well, we have to defend our position. We have to remain powerful. And, and to your point, Jesus was never about that. He yeah. was never about, you were never supposed to be the That's one in good. power. You were supposed to be the one powerless because you recognize um, you don't have a higher day. power. You recognize a higher power. You are not, right. the power isn't you. The power is outside of you. And so you can take that to other people. So the moment you become this drawbridge up, this, uh, yeah. this wall building yeah. community, that's the moment that you take the back seat because you're only in a defensive position. You're never in a, you're never engaging, and that's what you that's what we're called to do, right? I, okay. I think too is that that when we go do our fight, we forget about God. I I honestly yeah. and and this is my question that I'll ask a million times over and over. And why is it that when we see a homeless person, well, if someone comes to church and they say. What's your main focus as pastors? I need to get this guy involved. I need to make sure God's in his life. And how can we spiritually lift him up? We go to a homeless person and we see all the <laughs> physical needs. And we're like, let's abandon everything we just know that we're supposed to do. And let's worry about your physical needs. And it's just like we totally forgot about God. And we take God out of the situation, mm, right? I like that, yeah. And I, I get so frustrated with that because <laughs> it's, yeah. But I get really frustrated because I feel like as Christians, it's like we're missing the point. And I think that... That's part of the burnout process, is you can only build so many buildings. We can only hand so many clothes, right? But God will, if you put God at the center of everything, you're basically saying that, yeah, God's not going to do enough. That's ridiculous, right? If you keep pushing God and you keep having trying to do God's will and let God be the center of your life, it's just like anything, you're going to continually grow, right? And I think that, yes, there may be, maybe sometimes you'll go through hard times with burnout, but that's where you have people and other resources. But I think that if anything, that we just lose focus of what God truly is. And there is a great point where um, uh, Matthew Paris and... I think I said his name right, from England, and he's this huge atheist, and he talks about, uh, he wrote an article why Africa needs God, mm-hmm. but he's an atheist, 
And he said basically he, he, his big mission is he has to go bring water to Africa, fresh water to Africa. And he used to say, Christians, bring your stuff and leave, right? But then he ended up saying, uh, when he wrote this article, saying this actually hurts coming from an atheist perspective, but I've seen what Christians have done to the lives of the people in Africa. And that's what's really changing the culture in Africa. It's not the materialistic needs. It's that they're changing their hearts and they're changing their lives. And all of a sudden, now the mission comes that, well, maybe it's just not worth it. Maybe we should actually work at their hearts first and really try to change their lives. And then all of a sudden, all these Christians are coming down there and it's like more important now. Oh, maybe God's just the more important thing. And that's what's really spreading the message and really doing the revival in Africa. Right? That's it. <laughs> well, that's good. Um, real quick, Kyle, if people want to get more information on what you're doing or how to get involved, where would you recommend they go? Uh, we have, uh, go to our website, project54outreach.org, project yeah, Instagram, Facebook, not too much on that stuff, but there's all the information um, on there you can send us. Um, we do our monthly events, love to have people there. I try to say I'd want 200 people there. You know, one, two people for every homeless person would be the best thing for me, or our Bible study too. You can go there. Do you have an email? The website has email and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, uh, you can hit us up at info uh, at um, info at project54outreach.org. So don't just show up. Right. Contact you first. Yeah, contact yeah. me. If you, so if you're in the LA area, if you're a local here, um, and you want to be involved. Well, yeah, if you want to fly out, for sure, fly out. But yeah. if you find yourself in yeah, the if you LA find area. yourself and you want to, you want to email, email the, the organization, they're a great organization, um, and they'll talk you through a lot of, like, what, what, they, what you might need to do, listeners, to sort of get involved, um, which we all encourage you to do. So. Yeah. Find your own project if you want to. Yeah, that's Something actually a good point. So yeah. if you're not in the LA area, start something there. Yeah. So. Venture into the pop culture cosmos today, where you'll hear our conversations on different topics within the world of movies, TV, video games, comic books, technology, board gaming, and more. You'll also get a taste of some of our other shows within the cosmos as well. So come on and join us each week as we delve into the pop culture cosmos. Welcome to the pop culture cosmos. We hope you do listen to us and uh, follow us on all of the social medias. Like us on Facebook, like us, uh, follow us on Twitter, like Humanican Media, follow them. Um, and our Twitter handle is uh, at w a t underscore podcast. And then Humanica Media. Yeah, just uh, hu- uh, Humanica, just at Humanica Media. And that's uh, all right. Yeah. And and we'd love to hear your comments, your feedback, anything like that. Follow us, give us a shout out. Um, Respond to us. Let us us know what you want to hear. Yeah, let us know what you want to hear. Let us know what you think about this episode. We want to know um, everybody's feedback. um, Wherever that takes place. Wherever you find us, let us know what you think. That's uh, to us people that can feel things, it... it, uh... It hurts.